Today is July 26th, 2015. The title of today's message is Enough is Enough. Enough is Enough. Um, When I was growing up, my father used to use that uh, phrase, but it was never a good thing when my dad used enough is enough because it would have had something would have been encroaching and you know, it kind of builds and builds and builds over time. And then at one point, you knew that dad was upset and it was all, all the fun was over, right? In my house, the yelling would start out, the veins would start poking out on the neck and, ah, that's it, Could, no more. Um, I was a, when I was in college, I was in several uh, professional level music groups. And what you do, it, it's kind of fun. Like on your workplace, there's probably a certain culture. You know, you get doing certain things and you kind of... Um, for instance, you go in a business place, maybe it's part of the culture and everybody just kind of talks. You're in a bunch of cubicles and you just kind of yell at each other. Maybe that's part of the... Or maybe not. Maybe you get up and you walk over. Uh, maybe you actually send them email even though they're three cubicles away and you can just walk. But in the music realm, it was... we sitting there in front of a director, a maestro, and uh, if he started getting upset, you really... Everybody tried to be invisible. So you just... You'd pull your stand up, your music stand up just a little bit higher... And you would kind of just tuck below it, you know, just to, just to stay away from the wrath of whoever was there. Well, this idea of enough is enough, uh, we're going to take a look at this today. Uh, my kids know when I get to the point where enough is enough, it's all fun and games till dad gets mad, right? I mean, you know, then it, then it all stops. Um, I was thinking about some other examples of this idea of little by little that things just kind of creep up on us. Little by little, it gets to the point where kind of you're like, hey, I'm just, uh, no. Nah. Just not going to have any more of that. Um, uh, when you're taking your blood sugar, you can take your blood sugar and you can get an instant response of what the level of sugar is in your body. But there's another test called an A1C that's supposed to give you a better idea. It's more of a longitudinal idea over the last few months how you've been doing. I can, I can cheat and I can do certain things to get my, my blood sugar here right now okay. Maybe I didn't eat breakfast and, and so... I, I've really been cheating a lot, but I can kind of fudge on a test, but I can't really fudge on an A1C, right? right? You see it over the course of time, and I've either been doing good or I've not been doing good. I've either been cheating or I've not been cheating. Um, this idea of little by little is an interesting idea. If you will, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Say, there when you are there. He's speaking by faith. It's okay. (laughs) Deuteronomy chapter 7. And let's start in verse 17. The Word says this, You may say to yourselves, These nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? But do not be afraid of them. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. Sometimes we are served in our lives to just remember well what God has done. You saw with your own eyes the great trials, the miraculous signs and wonders, the mighty hand and outstretched arm with which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all the peoples you now fear. Everybody say, all the peoples. All the peoples. <laughs> Everybody. Everybody up in here. The Lord your God will do the same to all the peoples you now fear. Verse 20, Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them until even the survivors who hide from you have perished. 
Do not be terrified by them, for the Lord your God who is among you is a great and an awesome God. Everybody say amen to that. Verse 22, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. And what's the next phrase? Little by little. Little by little, the Lord will drive out these nations before you. You will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once. We've shared these scriptures before, but I really felt impressed in my heart that we need to revisit this idea today. You will not be allowed to eliminate all of your problems all at once. That is our desire. That is our plan. If we could have it that way, that's what we want to do. We want to get in our vehicles and be able to get to a cruising speed. We want to get in a plane and get to a cruising altitude. What does that mean? You can kind of go on autopilot. That is not at all the way the kingdom is supposed to work. Where we get to a place where all problems have been eliminated. God says, I'm not going to do that in your life. I'm not. Because I actually care about you. And I'm going to do it this way. The Lord your God will drive out the nations before you little by little. The Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once. This all at once idea, if you'll turn with me to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16 and verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down the bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them. Everybody say test them. And see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because He has heard your grumbling against Him. Ladies and gentlemen, when you grumble, you are not just grumbling against who you think you're grumbling against. You might think that you're grumbling against a boss. You are not. You may think that you're grumbling against a spouse. You are not. You may think that you're just grumbling about a situation that is going on in your life. You are not just grumbling about a situation. You are grumbling against the Lord who is in control of your life. Keep your place there. We're going to come back to it. Turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13 and starting in verse 1. Good job, Jimmy. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. It kind of sounds self-serving for a pastor to stand before you and to say that you are to submit yourself to the governing authority. It could, be, it could seem a little self-serving except for the fact that it's the Word of God. And as we align ourselves with this, everyone, every, everyone say Everyone. <laughs> must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. 
The authorities that exist have been established by God. Isn't that, uh, doesn't that almost seem redundant there? There's no authority except that which has been established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. I'm trying to give you a double witness here of the fact that this is a true statement. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. The problem is with us in our culture is that we can rebel and have a very nice exterior on it. We can rebel and call it a lot of things other than rebellion. We can be very discontented and grumbling with our situation, with our lot in life, or where God has put us, where God hasn't put us, and call it many other things than grumbling and rebellion. That is the problem that we have. <laughs> our assessment of what we're actually doing, of our actual heart condition, is sometimes a difficult thing for us to understand. What I feel right now is a very solemn, serious presence of God on this place. This is not at all the way I thought we would go today. So we're just going to go with what the Holy Spirit says, and I presume that He will be enough. Amen. We must allow the deception in our own heart about our own actions to fall away. The deception that is in our heart about what we say that we're really doing. The truth is, is we can deceive ourselves. Have you ever said something long enough and then you start believing it after a while? You start telling a story and you mess up a detail or two and then after a while, that's the way that it happened. And then you see a video or someone else reminds you like, that's not at all how it happened. Oh, we distort truth as human beings. That's why we must continue to go back to the Word and back to the Word and back in His Spirit and back to the Word so that He can refine us to find out, Lord, am I actually rebelling against authority that you put in my life? Am I actually grumbling and complaining that you, the God of all creation, have somehow done a disservice to me? Oh. These words make me want to check my heart and go, Lord, I don't think that I had that, but apparently this is what you're trying to tell us this morning. Apparently, you're trying to tell us to come boldly into your throne room during our worship time, and we better check ourselves as we do that. We better examine our own hearts. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 16. Because the problem with these things is that we do it little by little. I remember I was 15 or 16 years old, and a mentor in my life at the time, her name was Mandy. And Mandy, uh, we were at Burger King one day. She took me and somebody else out, I guess, to Burger King. You know. And we're sitting there, and I remember at 15, her going, there was a number line on the, on the wrapped burger. I don't even remember what it was for. It was just a num like numbers, 1 through 10 or whatever. And I remember as a kid, her going, hey, you don't think you'll ever get to 10, but the truth is, is that's not how we do. We don't jump from 0 to 10. We jump from 0 to 1. And we hang out at 1 and, and stay there for a little while until it gets comfortable. And then, well, I mean, we're at 1, so we might as well just slide on over to 2. She was encouraging a young man to try to stay pure before the Lord. That was the conversation that we, was having, that we were having. That's where this whole thing was going. But what a great progression. We don't jump from 0 to 10 in a, in a 
hard-hearted way. That's not how most of us, that's not how the people in this room are going to get there. But we can get there if we go from zero to one and just get real comfortable with one. And glory in the fact that we're not at a ten. I'm not at a zero, but maybe perhaps only God uses superstars to stay at a zero. So, I'm, I mean, I'm doing pretty good. Until we get really comfortable and then one was fine, so we're just more comfortable and we could go to two and it not bother us. Isn't that our society? What was very uncomfortable for someone to put on TV? The idea that a husband and wife would even be sleeping in the same bed on TV when it first came out. (gasps) Now, um, is there anything that we won't put on TV? On commercials. Have you seen some of the commercials lately? I hope not. (laughs) We're trying to be so politically correct, they'll have... Men holding hands and kissing on commercials. You're like, uh, uh, ah! This progression that's there. Be careful that our our hearts aren't little by little progressing away from what the Lord has for us. Just a little bit. Let's, Let's not presume that just because we see someone else who's on fire that we're actually on fire. Didn't Pastor Matt say that during worship time? We are responsible for getting in close to God and being on fire ourselves to evaluate our own heart, to go towards what God has called us to be, to exactly what He's called us to do, so that it's not based... (laughs) When we come together, if each of us individually on fire, we have a blaze going on. But I don't want to get someone... If Pastor Matt is on fire, I just don't want to get up close to him so I can get warmed up, because what happens when he's not there? Well, I get cold. How can his walk make me cold? Oh, because I'm kind of riding on his coattails and letting him do the work, letting him be hungry, and I'll just stay close because it warms me too. Thanks for warming me. That's not at all what we're supposed to be doing here, though. Verse 6 of chapter 16 of Exodus. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it is the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when He gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning. Everybody say, all the bread you want. All bread you want. Because He has heard your grumbling against Him. Who's the grumbling against? Yeah. Okay. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but you're grumbling against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for He has heard your grumbling. Do you think that the grumbling is an issue here, folks? Have you heard in just a few verses, it keeps saying, you're grumbling, you're grumbling against the Lord, you're grumbling against the Lord, you're grumbling against the Lord. Um, apparently, Moses, speaking under the inspiration of God here, wanted them to know what they were doing and had to bring that to their attention. Verse 10, while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. They were grumbling and they could still see the glory of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. (laughs) Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone and thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. 
This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Everybody say, as much as you need. In God's presence, there is as much as you need. His divine power has given us everything that we need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported it to Moses. So we understand the principle of manna. You're supposed to get out each morning and you got what you need. If you try to get too much, if you try to keep it because it's just easier, I don't want to get up in the morning, I want to sleep in, then what would happen is it would spoil, it would rot, it would smell, it would be full of maggots. Look in verse 31. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Doesn't that sound yummy? Wafers made with honey. God's provision always is sweet on our lips. There's something about it that's just, oh, it's just a little savory. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so that they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert. We can fast forward to Numbers chapter 11 and we can see that just before God called Moses to anoint 70 leaders with the same spirit that was on him, what was the issue? The people were tired of manna. You know, they ate manna for 40 years. That wafer with honey, if you're having it every day, <laughs> bold shrimp, fried shrimp, <laughs> shrimp fricassee, right? From, from the movie, whatever that was. There you go, Force Gump. I couldn't get the name out of my head there. I mean, I couldn't get the name into my head. They had, I mean, I imagine they, they figured out every way that you could possibly make and cook with and work with manna. I, I'm sure after that long. In Numbers 11, they get completely disgusted with manna. Completely disgusted. They're so tired of it, what do they do? They start grumbling again before the Lord. They grumble against the Lord. Are there areas in our life where we're grumbling against the Lord and He's literally just raining things upon you? He's literally giving you things that you really not even have to work for? <laughs> Your work for is you f flip open the tent and you have to get out there and collect what He's already done for you? Are there areas where we're going, yeah, but I'm kind of tired of the same meal. Now, I guess this is where I have an advantage because I literally could say eat the same meal all day, every day. Like, I'm one of those guys. I can eat a sandwich for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I just can. Are we spiritually like that, though? Are we spiritually tired of what God is providing? Are we spiritually um, fed up with the, the type, the way that He's providing it for us? He's literally raining provision down in our lives and we're 
we begin grumbling against Him. Since we're there, uh, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Y'all still with me? Deuteronomy chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 1. It says this, Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase. Everybody say, live and increase. And that you may enter and possess. Everybody say, enter and possess. The land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. Whether or not you would keep His commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you. Can, can I lay out the biblical principle for you here? There's a hunger. <laughs> He's going to humble you. He's going to hunger you. And then He wants to fill you. He's going to humble you either by your choice or by His. It's going to produce a hunger that's there. Lord, now that I'm broken in spirit, now that I'm poor in spirit, now that I'm meek, now that I'm laying before You and I, I mourn over my sin, Lord, I'm really hungry for You. I, I really do need Your presence in my life. There's a desperation that I have. Would You please come in and fill me? And He promises, if you're hungry and thirsty for Him, right? we even talked this, about this recently, whatever we're hungry for, He's going to fill us with that. If you're really hungry for His presence, He'll fill you with that. Without exception. Without delay. If we're not, if we're really hungry for something else, <laughs> be careful. Verse 3 says, He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna. The difficulties in our life, it's almost as if we are advantaged by adversity. Pastor Eric spoke on that before he left. It's almost like our adversity becomes our advantage in the kingdom. <laughs> the difficulty that we may be having on a job. You can be like Steve and work, be working part-time and like 90 hours a week, right? <laughs> Welcome. Amen. You're advantaged by that adversity, brother. That's to your advantage. It's to our advantage that sometimes we're not physically well. It's to our advantage that we experience difficulties. It is to our advantage because God is going to humble us so that we become hungry so that He can fill us. He, hunger, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That is so easy to say and so not easy to live. If I have to give you the full truth here and say, I think I'm getting better at understanding that I don't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But I can tell you, I'm not still fully, I'm not, I haven't fully learned that lesson. You know why? Because I still worry about my daily bread sometimes. I do. I worry about it. And I must know that I'm not quite fully established, Lord. All I need is your word. Well, brother, you need a house and you need food. No, I actually don't. <laughs> well, that's the way I want to get. I want to get where His presence in my life is more desirable to me than my next breath of air. That's a desire. That's not a reality in my life yet. 
but that is the goal. Your, your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that a man, as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Take a look uh, in verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws, and His decrees that I am giving you today. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, there's that autopilot. There's that cruise control that we want to get to. Be careful when your herds and flocks have grown large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, hunger is a good thing in our life. <laughs> How many movies? How many rocky set-up movies can you think of that get the guy and they get successful and then they lose the eye of the tiger, Right? You have to see the, the training montage that sends them back to really get back to their roots and train where it's difficult. You know why we like those movies? Because we know that there's something true in our heart. We understand, we relate to that. We understand the plight of humanity is that. And the Word gives it to us. Verse 16, He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you, so in the end it might go well with you. Why does God want to test you? Because He wants you to pass. Because He wants you to succeed. Because He wants you to see in the entirely heavenly realm to know that you've passed the test. That you are what you think you are. Is there nothing worse than someone who thinks they're one thing and everybody around them is like, bro, that ain't you. I am noble. And everybody's like, bro, you, you don't do anything. Like, you never do it right that self-deception that comes and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm not an angry person. And everybody's like, <laughs> bro, you're the most angry man I've ever met. Right? Everybody else knows it but that person. God puts us in tests not only so he can see, but so we can see what's going on. And he wants you to pass. He wants you to succeed. He wants to shower his blessing on you. He wants to give you manna every single day. He wants to pour it out on you. So that if you gather much, it won't be too much. And if you only have a little, it won't be too little. You'll always have what you need. Verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms His covenant which He swore to your forefathers as it is today. Isn't that amazing? Um, by the way, don't be overly American about this power to produce wealth, I'm talking about everybody in the room. Don't presume that that's someone else, right? Don't always make the word and the scripture fine and fit for someone else and not us. Whatever amount of wealth that he's given you and the ability that he's the one that gave you the ability. Why? Because he's confirming that he's good. He's showering blessings upon you. God forbid if we start grumbling because we look at someone else's ability to produce wealth and feel jealous about them. God help us. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. God judges our hearts. Turn to Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs 17 and verse 3.
the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. We're going to do a little bit of a sword drill. Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. Is that you, Zoe? Way to go. There. Yes, I love that. It makes me happy. Jeremiah chapter 17 and start in verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. (laughs) Pretty clear, eh? Who depends on flesh for his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will will not see when prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where, there, where no one lives. Verse 7, But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its, root, its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. Everybody say always green. Always Don't you love people who are just always green? They always have a word. They always have something encouraging. They always have seem to have the right thing to say and the right thing to do and you just enjoy and you're blessed by being around them? I feel that way about many of you. This is what we're supposed to be. This is not the superstar. This is us. This is every single one of us. This is our goal. This is what we're supposed to be. When we trust in the Lord, when our confidence is in Him, we will be like a tree planted by the water, sending out its roots, won't fear when heat comes. Leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought. In a prolonged season of drought, there is no fear. There is no worry. And it never fails to bear fruit. Goodness gracious. Look at verse 9. So it says this, and then immediately after it says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Wait, what? I thought you were like blessing us. I thought you were telling us all the good stuff. Well, but you need to understand this. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Ah, I know one who can understand it. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his his deeds, to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. John chapter 2. John chapter 2 and verse 24. Man, y'all got to keep up with Zoe here. Wow, i got to keep up with Zoe. You're beating me. John chapter 2, starting in verse 23. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them. Isn't that weird? They saw him doing miracles. The Bible says... Believed, they believed in His name. But Jesus would not entrust Himself to them, for He knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for He knew what was in a man. The same Jesus who did that, even on earth, knows us today. He knows what's really in our heart. 1 Peter chapter 1. I finally beat Zoe. That was my goal.
First Peter chapter 1 and verse 7 says this, These have come so that your faith... These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, the gold that perishes even though refined by fire, that your faith may be proved genuine and may, not, and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Wow. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of souls. <laughs> not only the salvation of my soul, not only the salvation of my family's soul, but if we do this right, we will see the salvation of souls around us. Amen? Turn to Numbers chapter 16. God tests the heart. He humbles us. He wants to work in our life. The idea of humbling, Pastor Matt and I were talking about this this morning, the idea of God humbling us so that He can test us is the idea that He wants to get, God wants to get every last drop of us out of us. Um, you know when you get married... And you have to, you're merging two individual single people. My wife and I have been married 18 years. Sometimes it's hard for us to remember some of those days. But I remember, uh, you got to figure out small things. Like, does the toilet paper, is it supposed to go over the top? Okay, okay, I'm just saying. Y'all already, y'all getting, y'all about to riot up in here. I'm just saying. Calm down. It's all right. Okay, do you, do you go over the top? Do you go underneath? Toothpaste tube. Where do you grab the toothpaste tube? Right in the middle, right? <laughs> Some of y'all are like, don't do that. That's not funny. Right, it's not even funny. Some of y'all are like, I can't, right? That was, I was the grab it from the bottom and gently you know, like roll it up. I'm no longer that way. My wife has brought me to the dark side. And I, <laughs> great, I'll work it out. It's no good because next time my wife and kids come in, it's going to be tuffed in the middle and it will unroll the, the part that I had done. <laughs> Our lives are supposed to be like a tube of toothpaste. God wants to get every bit of us out little by little. That's the job. If you have too much of you in you right now, allow Him. Because <laughs> the truth is this. It doesn't matter how it is in the middle of the tube when you've got enough there, it's when you start getting to the end, whether you grabbed it in the middle to start with, you start wanting to work that down to get every last little bit out. God wants to get every last little bit of us out. That's what He's saying. I'm going to humble you. I'm going to test you. Oh. You're doing this because you're the tester of hearts and you don't want us to be deceived by our own thoughts about our hearts. <laughs> you love us too much to let us stay in our ignorance and our unbelief when you know that you can just expel that from us if we'll allow you the opportunity to do so. If we will allow you. Deuteronomy, I mean, I'm sorry, Numbers chapter 16. <clears throat> Korah, son of Isar. 
the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and On, son of Pleth, become, became insolent. Everybody say insolent. That's an interesting word, isn't it? Insolent. We'll see exactly what we mean by this here in just a minute. And rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders, who had been appointed members of the council. These are the leaders of Israel. These are well-to-do, important people. Verse 3, they came as a group. (laughs) What do they say when you do a leadership class on your work? Bad attitudes compound twice as fast as good ones. Right, it's easy for everybody to get a bad attitude. That's what these guys have. These guys all have a bad attitude and they found a group that their bad attitude was accepted. So they all come together as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far. Really? The whole community is holy. L- listen to this phrase. Listen to this sentence. You have gone too far. The whole community is holy. Every one of them. And the Lord is with them. So they're going to lay out their argument. You have gone too far. Now let me be, that's my thesis statement. And now I'll start to explain to you why you've gone too far. Because you, Moses, and you, Aaron, you don't really understand what the people are all about. These people, they're holy. Every one of them. They're all set apart unto God. These people are a special people. Really? Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? They're talking to Moses and Aaron saying, why are you trying to declare yourselves as leader? Because all these people really, they don't need you to be above them. They don't need any authority over them, even though we know in Romans 13, right? Verse 4, when Moses heard this, he fell face down. Then he said to Korah and all his followers, in the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy. I like Moses. He's so stinking bold. I'll tell you who's holy. (laughs) I don't know if Aaron's having to hold an arm back, right? I don't know. Then he said to Korah and all his followers, in the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy, and he will have that person come near him. The man he chooses will cause... Uh, he will cause to come near him. You, Korah, and all of your followers are to do this. Take censers, and tomorrow put fire and incense them before the Lord. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You Levites have gone too far. The idea that you're going to defend the people in place of what God has established is not a good thing. When you start calling those people who are not holy and saying that they're completely holy or holy, holy, then we have a problem here. Verse 8, Moses also said to Korah, Now listen, you Levites. Everybody say the first three words of verse 9. Can you put 9 on the screen? Isn't it enough? I want you to say that again with me. Isn't it enough? Isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near Himself to do the work of the Lord at the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community 
and minister to them. He's brought you and all your fellow Levites near himself, but now you are trying to get the priesthood too? It is against the Lord that you and all your followers have banded together. (laughs) Who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? Isn't it enough what the Lord is doing in our lives? Isn't it enough for you? Isn't it enough for me what God is trying to do? Should I grumble and complain against the Lord of all creation? Should I say that He can't actually uphold justice if I'm going through difficulties, then somehow He was slighting me in my life? Isn't it enough for us that God is moving in our midst? Isn't it enough that we have access, direct access to the throne of God? Isn't that enough for us? Or is it? Is it really enough? Is there godliness with contentment in my life that is obvious about what's going on? I'm not talking about having a hunger to grow. I'm talking about my status in life. Lord, I want to be be hungry and thirsty after you. And I want to have godliness with contentment. That's 1 Timothy 6.6, I believe. Godliness with contentment is great gain. If I'm not content, then what's wrong? Sometimes we, we have a lot of internal dialogue. Y'all, y'all know what that is? Uh, I, used to, I, used to say that, I used to use this with the high school students that I taught. You have a lot of internal things going on in your head. You talking to you is louder than me talking to you. They've done studies that say that our normal rate of communication, external, like vocally, is somewhere up to about 300 words a minute. I was at a training yesterday, and the trainer is a wonderful trainer, and she goes up to about 400 and 450 words sometimes a minute. <sighs> Makes me listen harder, right? Our internal dialogue. Now, I don't know how they figure these things out. I've got to be honest with you. I'm not smart enough to figure out how they would do this. But external, we say 300 words a minute. Internally, is somewhere around 1,200 words a minute. Factor of four. So what I'm saying to you is what you're saying right now inside your head about what I'm saying, who do you think is going to win? You are. You're going to win. (laughs) What we do is try to get on stage and hopefully have the Spirit of God help us to change the way you think inside your head. Wow, what a weird thing that we try to do, right? Lord, may you touch their heart so that they hear what you're trying to tell them so that they can start saying that inside and it change who they are. Because I can tell you Scripture all day long and if you keep thinking, I'm really not happy with what God is doing in my life. If we would somehow be able to get things that are on the inside of us and get it out and take it to its logical end, I think we'd be embarrassed. I think I would be embarrassed if I actually said out loud, like, what am I worried about? Why am I stressed out? And I would get it out loud, and i talk all the way through it out loud. I think it would almost always come to the fact of, God, I don't actually think that you're going to do what you're supposed to do. Let me make it very simple. Rick did a great message on Wednesday night. Talked about choked by life. Used the parable of the seed and the sower and how that the seed would grow up, but it would be choked out by the cares of the life. You know how that happens? The truth is, uh, to put it in the most simple form that I can think of, we actually don't think that God is capable, able, 
cares, whatever. We just don't think that God is enough. We don't think He's enough to come and meet us in our point of need. You know why? Because we still worry about it. We fret. We cause our actions to go and we get nervous and so we feel like we have to go do something else, go somewhere else. If I had something different, if I had a better car, if I had a better job, if people would recognize the man of God that I really am, if I really were there where I'm supposed to be, then my life would be better. Because you can't do it. That's internal, right? Well, that's, that's bold. Who would ever say that out loud? But you know what? I, if we're not careful, that's what's going on in the inside. Lord, I, I have a master's, but, but only if I had a PhD would people really... Nope. Nope. Lord, if I only had... Uh, it must be the car. It must be the house. It must be... God, if, my, if, if only I lost weight. If only I did... Can you go back and put verse 9 on the screen for me? Isn't it enough for you? Christ is either enough for you or He's not. Let's not get overly complicated about these things in our life. We can get complicated and talk ourselves out of truth. We can get complicated and talk ourselves out of righteousness. He's either enough for you or He is not. There is no in-between. Isn't it enough for you? What would you want Him to do? What would the God of all creation have to do to be enough for you? The children of Israel had food raining down from heaven. It wasn't enough for them. He had to give them quail literally till it came out their nose is what the Bible says. I'll give you enough till it comes out your nose. An interesting way of saying, I'll give you so much you'll get sick of what you actually want. What you think you want. I'll make you sick of it. You want money? I'll give you money till you get sick of it. Till you realize that it doesn't satisfy you. Whatever you think you want, we have to be careful. Now look in verse... We're still in Numbers chapter 16. Look in verse 12. Then Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, we will not come. Boy, that's bold, isn't it? Moses, who saved your people, who you watched stick a staff out over water and the water pulled back. Uh, Props to you. If you ask me to come, come talk to you, I will probably default and come and talk to you. They said, nah, we're not going to come talk to you. Who are you? Verse 13. Isn't it enough? Um, when, you're, when you're good at some things, you can answer somebody's... No, let me, let me see how I want to say this. I have at times... I can listen to someone enough and I can use their words against them. I I can do it. I can win an argument by using someone else's words and turning the argument against them by what they said. They're here and in verse 13 they say, Isn't it enough that you have brought us up out of a land of flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the desert? They used the same isn't it enough concept and have flipped it now. Isn't it enough that you brought us out of the land flowing with milk and honey to give us in the desert and now you also want to lord it over us? Moreover, you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you gouge out the eyes of these men? No, we will not come. 
Moses says, isn't he enough for you? And what do they do? They take those exact words and they say, well, clearly you're not enough. You haven't done. Isn't it enough that that you've put us through this? That's why we've got to be so careful. Even our our verbiage, even what we're doing, if we have the wrong heart behind it, it could sound kind of like we're saying the same thing, but we mean exactly the opposite. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve are there. What does Eve look at the fruit? She looks at the fruit and thinks that it is good. Um, let me try a different analogy than, than this to, to set you up. for we all, We've studied Genesis. We all understand that principle. If uh, I owned a car dealership and I said, Hey, Brent, man, I love, I, I love you, Brent. Uh, look, I want you to know that this entire car dealership, you can have any car that you want on any day that you want. You can drive them all. You can pick one. You can change it out anywhere you like. Here's where the keys are. You can have them. This is my car right here. This one's mine. So just don't drive this one. This one's mine. Any other of the thousand cars that you have here, please feel free. When when new cars pull up, you go ahead and drive those too. (laughs) It would be pretty ridiculous for Brent to then go and want the only car that I said that he couldn't have. I gave him everything else. Right? Right? trying to put it in a little bit more modern terms so we understand the situation here of what Eve and Adam did, going, I know you've given us everything, but that's not enough. They could have anything. They could go anywhere. They could rule everybody and everything. There was one thing. And you know why God put that tree there? To test them. To see if they would be obedient to Him. In Matthew chapter 25, we have the parable of the talents. Gave some five to one, two, one. Right? When the, after a long period of time, the master comes back, and what does he say? The first man who had five say, Master, you entrusted this to me. Well done, good and faithful servant. This, the servant with two. Master, you entrusted this to me. The servant who had one talent, what did he say? Master, I knew. Master, you entrusted me, so I did this. Master, you entrusted me, so I did this. Master, I knew you were hard, so I went and hit it. In that internal dialogue that we have, what are we saying to the Lord when He presents us with something? Master, you've entrusted me with this. I will put my hand to this and be diligent. Or do we say, or is our first thought about us and what we don't have and what's not enough and what we can't do? in our restrictions, in our limitations. And I don't have a calling like Daniel, so God can't use me. If our first thoughts, if our ongoing thoughts in our mind and our heart are about us, perhaps what we're really saying is, God, you're not enough. God, you haven't really designed me the right way. I mean, I know you got a lot of people going, you know, there's a lot of people to work with, but clearly you must have missed it with me. Number 16. Let's let's go to verse 15. Then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, Do not accept their offering. I have not taken so much as a donkey from them, nor have I wronged them in any way. Moses got mad. Hey, folks. It's okay to get mad sometimes. 
Bible says to be angry and sin not. But when things are out of order, I'm going to say that you should get mad. When things are this far out of whack where people are saying it is not enough, that the God of all creation is not enough, we should have something that rises up in us and it says, no, Lord, don't... Lord, are you going to handle this? Would you handle this, please, Lord? Verse 16, Moses said to Korah, you and all your followers are to appear before the Lord tomorrow, you and they and Aaron. Each man is to take the censer and put incense in it, 250 censers in all, and present it before the Lord. You and Aaron are to present your censers there also. So each man took his censer, put fire and incense in it, and stood with Moses and Aaron at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Korah had gathered all his followers in opposition to them at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the glory of the Lord appeared to the entire assembly. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Separate yourselves and this assembly so I can, <laughs> wow, so I can put an end to them at once. But Moses and Aaron fell face down and cried out. <laughs> Moses was angry the day before. Moses and Aaron fell face down and cried out, O oh God, God of the spirits of all mankind, will you be angry with the entire assembly when only one man sins? It wasn't just one man. But you understand the concept? This was the leader. He had incited these men to do this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stay, Say to the assembly, Move away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Moses got up and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. He warned the assembly, Move back from the tents of these wicked men. Do not touch Anything belonging to them or you will be swept away because of all their sins. We must keep ourselves as a separate, holy body. Don't touch what they're touching because you might get swept away. Verse 27, So they moved away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Dathan and Abiram had come out and were standing with their wives, children, and little ones at the entrances to their tent. Then Moses said, This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me. Oh, I love him. I love Moses. This is how you know the Lord sent me to do all these things and that it was not my idea. If these men die a natural death and experience only what usually happens to men, then the Lord has not sent me. Moses is saying, I will stake my entire reputation on the fact that when you are not pleased with God, there's nothing that God will get angry with you. That you incur God's wrath by really speaking against God in your own heart, against, while you're grumbling against the Lord of all creation. If these men, um, verse 30, but if the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens up its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them and they go down alive into the grave, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. Can you imagine being Moses standing there praying for this? Lord, Nation of Israel, if these men die of something normal, then I'm not even a man of God. But if, oh, for example, we say the earth opens up and swallows them and their stuff. Verse 31, as soon as he finished saying all this, woo, the ground under them split apart. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them with their households and all Korah's men and all their possessions. They went down alive into the grave with everything they owned. <laughs> Our common phrase, you can't take it with you. Well, apparently in this case, they did. That's what it says, right? They actually took it with them. 
I mean, it didn't help them, but they got it all. The earth closed over them, and they perished and were gone from the community. Um, in front of the eyes of all the people. This is what God feels about Korah's rebellion. (laughs) We actually talked about Balaam the other day. Balaam's error, but Korah's rebellion. In the book of Jude, it talks about the way of Cain, Balaam's error, and Korah's rebellion. As indicative of a large group of humanity, the way of Cain, Balaam's error, Korah's rebellion. At their cries, verse 34, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, the earth is going to swallow us too. Uh, It could. Look at verse 41. Everybody say the first three words there. The next day. The next day. The whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Do you remember that these men were trying to say that all of the Israelites were completely holy? Every one of them set apart from God? That God was completely happy with the whole nation? The next day. If the earth just swallowed three entire families, extended families, houses, glunk, Gone. Would you or I be the next day grumbling against our leaders? I would hope not. And what is their mantra? Isn't their mantra what the rebellious ones were saying? You have killed the Lord's people. Wow. You see a clear work of the Lord and still He's not enough for you. Still, he's not enough. Verse 42, But when the assembly gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron and turned toward the tent of meeting, suddenly the cloud covered it. If if we keep setting ourselves up against God and what he's doing, there will be a cloud of his presence that will suddenly appear. (laughs) There will be a mighty hand that is at work. Verse 43, Then Moses and Aaron went to the front of the tent of meetings, and the Lord said to Moses, Get away from this assembly from this assembly, so I could put an end to them at once. Uh, I'm just going to start over. I'm just going to wipe them all out. Verse 46, Then Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and put incense in it, along with fire from the altar. You're not allowed to get fire anywhere else, folks. Just fire from the altar. And hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord. The plague has started. So Aaron did as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people. But Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead. Goodness gracious, isn't that our job as believers? Isn't that exactly what we do? We go run out. There are people dying. They have grumbled against the Lord. We're going to run out and stand between the living and the dead. And we're going to try to make atonement. We're going to try to get those living before they do die. Before they expire because of their hearts. Because of their hardness. Verse 49, But 14,700 people died from the plague. In addition to those who had died because of Korah. 
Then Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting, for the plague had stopped. Last scripture for the day. Let's turn to Romans chapter 2. In closing here. Thank you. So in your heart, are you content or are you critical? In your heart, do you relish where God has you? Or is there an attitude of grumbling and complaining? with what He's giving you, with what you don't have, with what you wish you had, with the fact that you feel unjustly and unfairly treated by the God of all creation. These are hard things to say out loud, but if, you really, if we really examine our hearts, if we let that which is internal become external, I have to admit to you, there's been times in my life where I, re- I was really holding things against God I thought I was holding things against someone else. I was really displeased with my life. My frustration level was high. My anger level was high. My angst level was high. And the truth is, is it had nothing to do with anyone else. It was me and my heart that I was unhappy with the way God had decided to do with my life. I don't like being alone. I don't like being with Him. I don't like being this. I don't want that. I wish this wasn't this way. Are we displeased? Are we grumbling against the Lord of all creation in our heart? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Romans chapter 2. Verse 7. To those who by persistence, everybody say persistence, in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil. By the way, you cannot just follow evil. You have to reject the truth to follow evil. That's, that's how this thing works. There will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Our issue most of the time is not a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of execution. It's not that we don't know enough about the Lord. It's not that we know that we shouldn't grumble and complain. The fact is, we don't stop ourselves when we start complaining. It's not knowledge. It's the execution of what God is trying to do in our life that most of the time gets us in trouble. It's putting our hand to do what He has told us to do. Part of what we're going to do as believers is we are supposed to demonstrate contentment by doing wholeheartedly what God has put before us. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So if there's either contentment or there's criticism, where are you in your own heart? Let me rephrase the question. In what specific areas are you grumbling against the Lord and possibly even bringing, going to bring wrath on yourself? What are those areas? Do you have areas like that? 
even as we begin to worship now, I want us to examine our hearts. We've had, a, we've had words from the Lord today that have spoken to us. His presence is here. <laughs> I'm going to trust that He is enough for us today. I am not trusting in a well-crafted sermon. Just not. I'm trusting that the God of all creation can speak to our hearts and that His Spirit will illuminate to us if He's really enough for us or not. Would you stand with me?